The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. It has been too long since we've been together. Um, even though we're apart, um, the practice and the habit of making sure that we are um, bonded both by love, memory, and communication when possible is so, so, so important. And uh, I love the, the communication we get each week in the prayer of confession because God in his word says very clearly, if we confess our sins, those sins we can confess both to him, we can confess to him by confessing to one another. Uh, If we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So many of us, uh, I think we carry this weight of sin that we don't need to be carrying. Um, Oftentimes we imagine that, that God wants us just to be perfect kids when God has made a way for us to be perfect in him through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so if this week you found yourself um, tempted and giving into that temptation and sinning, uh, if your heart uh, feels dark or far from him, um, I invite you to confess your sins to him today, knowing that as you confess, you are forgiven and free in the name of Jesus. So, Refuge Church, receive the forgiveness of Jesus this morning. Um, Before we get going, I I want to offer just a quick pastoral prayer for those communities uh, that have been affected by the wildfires. We have uh, families in our church who have family that have been very, very impacted, uh, lost their homes, and um, we want to know uh, how to respond as a church to these things, Um, not just in in the way that uh, probably is easy, which is just praying that we'll get rain so we don't have cloudy skies anymore or smoky skies anymore, Uh, but we want to respond in a way that we we can be the the compassion, the heart of God uh, to the communities that are close to us, and so want to pray for those, those communities and families impacted. If there is any way um, that we can, as a church, rally to the aid of family, friends who have been impacted, let us know. Um, we would love to be a part of that. Um, so please just pray with me as we, we pray for those who have been impacted. Father, I think of so many times that we've prayed for tragic things that have happened, whether that's bombings around the world, explosions, shootings, and here we come again today going, God, we don't know, we don't know what to do, uh, but we we want to do something. Uh, So God, make us people of action as we, we come to you praying for restoration of communities and homes and families uh, for your presence to be so near those who are right now grieving loss, loss of home, loss of people that they love. Um, God, we pray for the restoration of the earth. We have scorched lands, millions and millions of acres that once so picturesque is now barren and we long for the restoration of that land. So God, show us your way in this. Be so present here on earth right now for these communities and for these families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the very last week of our Five Commitments sermon series. 
and in many ways, uh, this one is, is a culmination um, of the verse that compelled me to write the five commitments and present them to the elders. And that verse is John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And I think that simplifies a lot of what we make complex. We make uh, the Christian walk, we make our faith so much about new ideas, <laughs> our own ability to be brilliant. Um, it really is as simple as listening to the words of Jesus and doing what he said. And so the five commitments is, is simply a path for us to listen to the words of Jesus and obey them. Um, this has been our intro each week, and this is, I just, I just ask you to receive this as we read it one more time. We are defined more by uh, what we do than by what we say. In the Bible, we are told that some will meet God in heaven expecting to enjoy their forever home, only to discover that they never really knew God. Jesus says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and God will respond, I never knew you. How will God greet you in heaven? Have you really known him? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but declaring faith is only the first step in following Jesus. God invites us to a personal experience of his presence and power here on earth. These five commitments will not save you. They are a way that will help you share the life of Jesus, walk in the Spirit, and show the goodness of the born-again life on earth. And just a reminder, these five commitments are, the first is to, uh, to pray and to memorize and uh, to worship once a day. Once a day, fun time, fun time on your schedule. To pray, memorize, and worship. Um, and this is uh, so crucial because uh, we're formed by our habits. And so we, we want you to, to make time for these actions that the rest of your life will spring from. The second is to, to choose uh, two days a month to fast for half a day. Now, if you're ambitious and want to do a full day, that's great. But remember, this isn't about um, what we can do for God. It's the way we can participate in the work he wants to do in us. <laughs> and, and so these are ways to do it. Um, I, I want to invite you to do that on the 1st and 15th. That's when I'm doing it. And I think it, it's helpful just to have a rhythm of doing that rather than just to pick a, a different day. So I'm doing it the 1st and 15th of, um, of every month. Um, the, uh, the third commitment is to uh, find a place to volunteer for three hours every month. And this, again, probably seems very small. But in choosing a place to volunteer, a place to give yourself, I believe this will also transform our lives. Uh, teach us in some way how to give our lives away because we are so good at dreaming up ways to give to ourselves. <laughs> But the act of giving, as Jesus said, it's, it's greater blessing to give than receive. The act of doing that, I think, will begin transforming us. Uh, the fourth is to, uh, four times a month, speak about Jesus to somebody, to invite someone to uh, understand and share the faith that you have in him, the saving faith. Uh, this is a challenging commitment, and I love the way my dad put it last week, that, um, you know, what would make us not anxious to do that. And, and a lot of it is the more you delight in God, the more you'll delight in speaking about him. So it's not just you gritting your teeth and going, I'm, I'm going to do this to be a better person. It's, it's to invite people into everlasting life. That's why we speak about him. That's why we're committed to seeking out ways to do that. And then the fifth commitment is to five times a week to read our Bible and to journal. And that's what I'll be talking about today. Okay, you ready? Fifth commitment. <laughs> so, as I think about this, the word of God, words, that oftentimes can be life or be death to us. Words impact us. All of us 
long to hear these simple words. I love you. We crave those words. Yesterday, um, Hannah and I received uh, a bunch of baby books. And uh, reading through these baby books, I actually read one to Hannah before we went to bed. And reading these baby books, um, the messages are simple and clear. It's the messages that we want our children to grow up knowing without a doubt. It's amazing how many baby books revolve around these three words, I love you. Over and over again, in so many ways, <laughs> even different creatures, the one I read last night was a, a, a mama deer speaking to a little baby deer, saying, before you were born, I loved you. Even now, I love you. Your whole life, I will love you. This is, this is the words we want to hear. Now, as we read these baby books and the message that is so clear, I think perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he said, we must all become like little children. We must all understand the simplest messages. We must understand that we are loved. But <laughs> isn't it interesting that the words, the essence of what we want kids to hear, we don't often know how to share with one another or even pray that that will be the essence of our communication uh, to the world around us. But perhaps it should be what we want not just children to hear, but what we want everyone to hear. Uh, a humorous way to think about this is, um, have you ever noticed on baby shampoo that it often says, no tears or tearless? And what that means simply is that if you are or bathing your child and you are scrubbing their head, when the shampoo gets in their eyes, uh, it won't sting them. Now, at what point is it just okay that our eyes sting? You know, I, I've <laughs> always wondered, why don't they make adult shampoo tearless? You know, I don't like <laughs> crying <laughs> when I'm shampooing my hair, like, it hurts, but it's good. You know, <laughs> but, but we know that, that for babies, we just don't want them to experience pain. But if there's some point where like, it's okay, you're an adult, you can handle it. And it's the same thing for kids who are like, we want you to know your love, but adults are like, you don't need to hear that. You know, if you didn't get it when you were younger, you're sure not gonna get it now. <laughs> no, perhaps these things that we know are important for kids are equally as important for us when we grow up. This is inherent in the way we are made because it is also inherent in who God is. God is love. And when he made us, he made us to be loved, but he made us also to love him. One of the, <laughs> the surprising things you'll find, um, and you can do this, is, is uh, if you look for, um, if you search, the internet for, uh, for verses on God's love for us. There are pages and pages and pages. There are sermon after sermon after sermon. If you try to find verses about our love for God, or, or God saying, love me, there's almost nothing out there. It's very, very difficult to find anything about that. And when the, the whole thrust of the Bible is to invigorate our hearts to love God, not just that he would love us. And, and yeah, there's these declarations about God loving us. But when we were created, we were created to love God. Not because God needed it, but because God himself is love. And he loves that interaction. Listen to the way the, the scripture talks about this. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And we know this is this is again affirmed by Jesus is the most important thing you can do, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When, when Jesus is saying the most important thing for your life, that he doesn't say the most important thing for your life is to know that you are loved by God, but that you love him, that you respond by loving him. Yeah, he, God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
But it's so that in our, the freedom of, from selfishness and sin that we, our hearts would be awakened again and actually beat, right? Actually be alive and love. That we would be restored to be able to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind. Listen to this. In Hosea, this is the word of God. What can I do with you, O Ephraim? This is one of the tribes of, of Israel. What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the dew that disappears. Therefore, I will cut you to pieces with my prophets. I will kill you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgment goes forth like the sun, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The word, I remember my dad would always remind us that the acknowledgement of God, literally, he goes, I want a loyal love. That's what it means there. I want a loyal love, not burnt offerings. That we would love God loyally. And if we are not, then the word of God, rather than bringing life to our hearts, it will be words that cut us deeply because it cuts into our selfishness. It cuts into our us-centered thinking that the world is about us. The word of God will always be in conflict to that because it is not about us. It is about loving God. And so we might respond, then how do I do that? How do I, in the words of Jeremiah 29, seek him with all my heart so I can find him? How do we do that? And Jesus makes it very simple. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That is how we love God. If you love me, you will obey my commands. It is very simple. The, the understanding of this passage. It, if you have no desire to obey the commands of God, then you do not love God. No matter what sort of theological gymnastics you do, <laughs> if you do not obey his commands, if you don't listen to his words, if you don't pay attention to what he says, then we do not love God. I remember hearing this humorous story told of um, a parent and a child talking about the child cleaning their room. And the, the parent said, you know, will you clean your room? You haven't done it in a while. Um, and the child goes to their room and comes back about a half an hour later. And the child says, I have written down word for word what you told me to do clean your room it's just inspiring what you said just moves me and the parent said well good did you clean your room and the child said no no I didn't uh, and the parent goes okay well I'm glad that my words inspired you but can you clean your room half an hour goes by a child comes out it says I I took your words and I translated them into Latin. And I just felt like understanding the root of each of those words brought them to life. And the parent says, well, that's good. Did you clean your room? And the child goes, no. I didn't. No, I got distracted. I was translating. Well, I would really love it if you clean your room. So the child goes back, comes back later and just says, I have so memorized your words, Mother. I don't even have to look at them on the page anymore. They are hidden in my heart. And the parent says, well, that's good. But now you cannot see friends for a whole year. You know, as humorous as, as that story is, um, it is oftentimes what we do, right? We, we take the word of God, but we do not do what it says. We're like, it's hidden in my heart. I know the original meaning of it, you know. And yet God continually says, but have you done it? You say you love me, but do you do, you do what I'm asking you to do? That, that is what it means to love me. So, today we are going to simply look at, at why I read the Bible why not, which is excuses, why not to read the Bible, and then how we can read the Bible. To give some context to this, I want to read a, a, a fun quote by um, Eugene Peterson, who, who wrote a book uh, called Eat This Book. 
And, and in it, he writes this. We are fond of saying that the Bible has all the answers. And that is certainly correct. The text of the Bible sets us in a reality that is corresponding with who we are as created beings in God's image and what we are destined for in the purposes of Christ. But the Bible also has all the questions, many of them that we would just as soon were never asked, and some of which we will spend the rest of our lives doing our best to dodge. The Bible is a most comforting book. It is also a most discomforting book. Eat this book. It will be as sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will also be bitter in your stomach. You can't reduce this book to what you can handle. You can't domesticate this book to what you are comfortable with. You can't make it your toy poodle trained to respond to your commands. This book makes us participants in the world of God's being and action, but we don't participate on our own terms. We don't get to make up the plot or decide what character we will be. Eat this book, but also have a well-stocked cupboard of Alka-Seltzer and Pepto-Bismol in hand. This is a dangerous book. So, why would we welcome such comfort and discomfort into our lives? Well, I'm going to let the Bible just speak for itself on this one. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be flipping to passages from Old to New Testament and just reading them. Uh, we're going to start with Psalm 19. This is such a beautiful reminder of why we read this book. Psalm 19, uh, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eye, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Your word, O Lord, is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. There is great, great reward in keeping these words. Turn uh, to Psalm 119. And the whole thing, we're just going to start reading through it. Uh, I encourage you this week just to read, meditate on it. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, those who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down your precepts, and they are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my way were steadfast to obey your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man stay on a path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And he just goes on and on. I mean, I'm really, I don't know where to stop here. Because he goes on, that your word is a light to my feet, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. These words are what make the way in front of us clear. John 8, if you'll turn with me to the New Testament, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And just to show how we've, we've separated uh, what is true in the words of Jesus is, you've probably heard, taken out of context so many times, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But still, like, like, <laughs> Blind people looking around going, man, uh, what's in front of me? What is truth? Right? What, what, what do I, what's firm for me to step onto? 
Jesus makes it clear in the context. If you hold to my teachings, then you will really be my disciples and you'll know the truth. If you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is the teachings of Jesus. Truth is found in the commands of Jesus. And if we, if we meditate on those, if we hold those and obey those, then we will be people that love God and walk in his way. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12. is what the author of Hebrews says for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joint and marrow it judges it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account <laughs> it was like comforting discomfort that's scary the word of God is alive and active, and what does it do? It's sharper than double. It finds its way into us, and it judges our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his words. And so we find when we read the word, it is actually reading us. Turn with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, this word, is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do you want to be feel ready for living the good life? Read the word. It is inspired by God. God breathed this out. That is the word of God. And that is why we read it. Now, even with those incredible promises tied to the Word of God, we find a lot of reasons why not to read it. And so I want to address those really quick before we get in the how-to. The first reason why we don't read it, I think, is oftentimes we believe the Bible is not relevant to our lives. It's not relevant to patching the in my roof. It's not relevant to stopping wildfires. It's not relevant to the election. It's not relevant to accounting. Whatever it is, we feel like all these other things are more relevant and, and, our, and our view becomes so narrow. If you find that the Bible is not relevant, then we are, you are dangerously distracted from what is actually most important for you. What really we are saying is what is of personal interest. And oftentimes this is what is. Power, which is rising to the top or establishing ourselves. Politics, what this world considers of influence. Possessions, what do I have? How do I get? What's cool? Popularity, how do people see me? These are the things that oftentimes dangerously distract us from what actually is most relevant. And we see this when the Word became flesh, Jesus himself, and dwelt among us that no one thought he was worth their time. Right? Sure they did when he fed them. Sure they did when he healed them. But believe in him? That's a whole other thing. Jesus, surely you can't ask us to do that. If you're not going to throw over the Roman Empire, why are we going to listen to you? If you're not going to save me here and now, if you're not going to make me wealthy here and now, then, right, we're dangerously distracted by all these things and don't see him relevant. I think it's the same way when people say, the Bible isn't for me. And honestly, that makes me laugh because the way they mean that, you're right, it's not for you. And that the Bible is for all people, for all time. I have a seminary professor that loves saying the Bible was given to a community for a community. It was God-breathed and it was inspired into uh, these writers who wrote it down. But it wasn't just for them. They, they knew that they were just faithful stewards of this. And so the word could be given to a community for a community. People who would receive this together. 
It's not for you, because if you want it to be for you, you will find that the Bible actually is a threat to your very existence. You'll find that the Bible asks you to lay down your life, and in laying down your life, to actually find it. The second reason we oftentimes do not read the Bible is that we don't know how to read the Bible, or we don't feel qualified, and if you feel ill-equipped or unprepared, I want to tell you, you are absolutely correct. (laughs) You are (laughs) ill-equipped, and you are unprepared, and that's why... Jesus says, I'm going to send you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name. And he will teach you all the things and will remind you about everything that I've said. You are ill-equipped on your own to understand this word. You're meant to read it with God, not just about God. If we say we don't have enough time, there's another reason. We don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And I've said this in many sermons. Time is literally all you have. (laughs) There's nothing else you really have. These clothes, they're going to go away. Time, though, time is the thing that we do have. It just matters how you use it. What you're really saying in that is I don't have a high enough value on the Bible. Everything else is more valuable to me. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you say I don't have enough time, you're saying, I survive on everything else, but not this. If you don't find it interesting, it's also kind of a funny, I don't know, all all our reasons, if we really look at objective, objectively are, are kind of funny, I think. Have you ever met somebody who says they don't like the taste of water? I've met several people who don't like the taste of water. Hey, just like, just because you don't like the taste of water doesn't mean that you're not like 70% water or whatever, you know? It, <laughs> it's so funny when we make it about our preferences, things that are vital to life, eating, breathing, water, the word of God, it's not about your preference. It doesn't have to be interesting to you for it to be the thing that is vital to your existence. How many relationships have fallen apart because we've lost interest? And it's a pathetic excuse, pathetic excuse for you not investing. When something is good, True, I remember, remember what we, our happy thoughts, good, true, pure, lovely, admirable. It does not matter if you prefer it or not. Do it. Deuteronomy 32. It says, take heart to all these words I have solemnly declared to you so that you may command them to your children to be careful all, with all these words of law, they are not just idle words, they are your life. These are your life. John 6, 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. These are not optional things, these are not preferential things, these words are life. Some of us, and I think this is the one that is not a laughing excuse, some of us doubt the accuracy of the Bible. We, we come to it and we are, we, we are sincerely uh, questioning whether or not these words are true. And, and for that, I, there is so much we can say about that. There are three things I want to offer. The first is, uh, read it and bring those questions to God and bring those questions to the text. I think of how many times in the relationships we have, we hold doubts and questions and dare not to speak them. And yet when we speak them, that's when the healing starts happening. That's when the understanding starts happening. Bring your most scary questions to the text itself. And then also read the thoughts of great people who help us understand the reliability of it. A very simple book is Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Another book is Reason for God by Timothy Keller. These are are great resources. 
just to have a simple understanding of how reliable and accurate the Word of God is. Now that I've answered all of your reasons not to read the Bible, <laughs> for you who are still with us, I want to talk about how to read the Bible. How do we do it? Now, in diving into how we read it, I want to remind you that it does not matter the amount of advice on Bible study techniques. None of that can compensate for hearts and minds that are not willing to humbly follow God. You can have a seminary education, but if you approach the Bible with pride, unwilling to hear God and just wanting to hear yourself and your smartness, you will get nowhere. <laughs> if you don't even know how to read or you're learning to read with the Bible and you're coming going, God, man, show me yourself, God will honor that. So this is how we start. I know we've covered um, prayer in our first commitment. Well, I want to touch on that really quick if you're coming to reading because these are paired very closely together. Time in the Bible is not time alone. That's the first thing you need to remember. Time in the Bible is not time alone. It is time with God. And you have been given help for this task of reading. Jesus said, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I've said. God has sent the Holy Spirit to help you. <laughs> it means you need to be with him in the reading of it. The Bible has given us a language to pray for understanding. Psalm 119 19 says, Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. It's a great way to start. God, open my eyes so I can see wonderful things in your law. And that's just how, we, that's how we're reading. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. We're not just reading it as a task, another thing to do. God, I want this to be us time, not me time. I want this to be us time. Open my eyes. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Wow, such a good prayer for this time that we find ourselves in. Search me, O oh God, know my heart. Know my heart, God, know that, man, know, know that there's 4% of my heart that really wants to be here and 96% of my heart that's somewhere else, but know that, know that 4% of my heart that just is like really ready. And see, see the anxiety in me. See if there's things that are stealing my attention from you. Lead me in your way. Be honest with God, because remember what we were reading in Hebrews is that this, the word's already discerning what's going on in our heart. <laughs> so the best verse is to be honest. And so we get in and we, we read. In this book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth, uh, the authors say this, Our experience over many years in college and seminary teaching is that Many people simply do not know how to read well. And you might find yourself in that place. And that's okay. And, and I want, every time I say read, I want you just to hear, take in the word. Okay? That's just longer to say, so I'm saying reading. Take in the word. It could be that, that you just listen to Bible on audio for your, for your time with God. That's great. That's great. Uh, the Bible is a challenging book to read, and there's four reasons for that, I think. One is comprehension. I think we're, uh, we all have our personal limitations with comprehension. You know, if, if we're used, if we are trained in our soundbite world, it's going to be very hard to follow long portions of thought. So we might, taking that into consideration, might need to start with smaller chunks, one verse at a time, holding that in, memorizing that, meditating on that, interpreting Finding the meaning of it. Comprehension, then interpretation, can be very difficult for us. How do we find the meaning of this passage? And, and to do that, it is being in communication over it. Communication with God, communication with others, being willing to sit with hard questions, being to seek out the answers to those questions. Understanding in the cultural context. It's very hard to get dropped into a different context. And so as we're reading and, and, and we're seeing what's happening in the Old Testament, we're like, man, 
Like, you just need to remember that um, as God's speaking, um, we're getting dropped into a very different place and time. Let that inform us as we're reading. And, and the fourth thing I th- is retention. And, and I hope the journaling part helps us with this, and we'll get to that. But retention, I think many of us, we read and then we go, and then, and then we're just like making shopping lists. And, and how do we retain? How do we hold on to the word? And we get to that. I think th- these are just challenging things we find ourselves in. But we, we read with this in mind. There are so many things I can give you to help, but this is simply what I'm going to offer. We read, we take in the word, we, we take in the word, it could be listening, it could be reading it, with the goal of God. <laughs> we read with the goal of God. The goal isn't reading itself, the goal is God. The Bible is a personal invitation to know God to enjoy God, and to obey God. To know God, to enjoy God, and to obey God. That will transform your taking in the word. We read it to hear from him, not just to form a checklist. Never, ever forget that he is your companion, present with you in the whole process of taking in the word. So much so that when Jesus came, he was called the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and he still wants to dwell among us every day as we take in his Word, as we take him in. It is a relational activity. As we do that, I want to invite us to, in this same commitment, to journal. And I find this challenging. Um, there are a lot of good reasons to journal, but the one I want to offer is actually, I think, a very overlooked passage in the Bible. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's written to kings. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Uh, it was a couple of years ago I discovered this, and I thought, man, this is so, so helpful. Listen to, uh, this, is, this is a book talking about what's going to happen, what's going to come, how to be prepared to be God's people. And um, God tells them in Deuteronomy, when you go into the land, you're going to eventually have a king. And when he takes the throne, just starting in verse 18, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the laws and decrees. And, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. What a profound passage. What is the king to do? When the king steps up to the throne, he's going to take the word and he's going to take a blank composite notebook, (laughs) scroll, and he is going to just write it down. Read it, write it, read it, write it. What will this do? By reading and writing, what this will do is that he is going to commit it somehow to his heart, reading it all the days of his life. He's not just going to write it down, but he's going to read it all the days of his life, and he's going to learn to revere it. He's going to learn to hold it up. He's going to learn to hold it above his thinking, above his words, above the things that come first come to mind. He's going to go, does this match up with the word that, that God has given? And it will cause him to not consider himself better than anyone else. Oh, that's good. Every leader should do that. Because you know where we start screwing up is when they think they're in a class of their own. But, but the word of God, when we uphold the word, we realize that we're all under the word. That God is sovereign. God is king over the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And so when we read the word, we realize that person, that person, that person, and me all, all come. And, and when we desire to love God, we all come under his word and, and are simply called to obey his command. So a leader... Their simple task is to lead according to the word, to help the word go far and wide. It's the role of a leader. 
How beautiful would that be? So, this is where we take the word and make it personal. That's what the king did. He took the word and he made it personal by writing it out for himself. My encouragement here is to make the word of God the most current news in your life. I think this is a helpful way to say it now because there are so much news. Every time we look around, talk to somebody, look at our phones, whatever, so much news. Make this the most current news in your heart and mind every day. And I think the journaling will help us in these three ways. The first is it will help make us thoughtful. And let me, let me say, when I journal, I literally write just a couple sentences. What I've read, I've cho- I choose something and I just, just think about it, think about it, and I, and I just want to get something out there that, that I'm just processing. Not big. I'm not like writing pages. Some people do that. I, I don't. I wish I was that person. I'm not. Journaling helps us be thoughtful. Um, <laughs> some friends had a birthday this week, and I, I decided to write them both uh, letter and the, again don't think of me too well I mean this was just like a card right this isn't like pages um, and it is hard um, I admire people like Melissa who just are writing letters but even for her I know it's like a discipline to do what happened though when I started trying to write right when I'm typing I'm just like delete delete delete, delete. okay let's just take all that out right and it's like this when I'm writing and it's in ink you know how bad it feels to scratch something out just terrible like no no one wants to write a letter and it's just like full of just scratching it out you know how many times we write and we're just like okay I just need to get a new piece of paper and because it makes us thoughtful it makes us meaningful I'm gonna think it's like I'm gonna think before I write wow That would be a good habit for all of us. The second thing is it nourishes us. It nourishes us. How does it nourish us? Well, think of it this way. Um, When we eat food, oftentimes we think the nutrients and the digestion happening in our stomach. That's not where it starts. Digestion actually happens in the mouth. I know this is kind of a weird train of thought. Follow me. Digestion happens in the mouth. The saliva, I'm going to say some words that are going to make you uncomfortable. Is Saliva is actually a digestive juice. Okay, I know, I know, this, this is going to make it memorable, but none of us want to hear this. It contains enzymes that actually start breaking down the food. Chewing the food, making it into smaller pieces, also begins breaking apart those nutrients and getting it ready to be fully digested. So many of us have heard, have received feasts, have received buffets of spiritual food our whole lives, and it's just sitting there undigested. Journaling and putting your thoughts down is a way of starting to digest it. This is really important because so many of us don't know what to do with the truth we've been given. That's why taking notes is important. That's why capturing thoughts and then working through them. How do I, I think about this? How do I, am I applying this? Is the way we start digesting that spiritual food and it actually beginning to nourish us. Too many times you probably watch a sermon or something and you're like, man, I like the way Daniel thinks. I like the way Dave, Ibrahim, Jake, whoever. I like the way they think. It's just not, you know, I just can't think like that. The, the reason we think this way is because we've spent time studying, digesting, writing, we can all do that. The last thing is simply it makes us participants in the God-breathed life. See, the, the God who is uh, speaking in his word, breathing out his word, is still breathing. He's still inspiring. And as we read the word and we start writing, we let him start speaking through us in a special way. So that is why I'm inviting you to read, read, read. Take in the word and then start releasing the word. 
onto pages to let it nourish you. And then when someone says, what have you been thinking about? What's going on in your life? That's going to be what starts coming out of you. So I know this has been a long sermon. Um, I just want to leave you simply with this. We cannot say we are followers of Jesus if we neglect or refuse to obey what the Bible tells us. Or if we read it in a self-serving way that God did not intend it to be read in. We can't say we love him. We can't say we're his followers if this word means nothing to us, if it does not change us, if it is not the word that is above every other word in our lives. So here's the Bible, a personal invitation to know, enjoy, and obey God. Let's get started. Pray with me. I got it. I pray that some of this time together today will make us people who hunger and thirst for your word, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us by your spirit to overcome some of that fear to get in and read maybe hard parts of the Bible. You're so honest in your word. I pray the word will challenge us, convict us. Give this church the courage and bravery five times a week. Read your word to chew on it, to be nourished by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Refuge Church, to share with you the words of Jesus that he left with us on the night he was betrayed. Uh, he took some bread and he took some wine, both very common things, both things that they were already sharing together. But he gave them new meaning by his word. And he said, this bread... This bread is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, both today, any time, take it in remembrance of me that my body was broken for you. And he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a brand new covenant I'm making in my blood. This cup represents the forgiveness of sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So I invite you, if you come today, Confess your sins to him before you take of this. Knowing that if you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you. When he forgives you, you are free both now and for all eternity in the name of Jesus. So take with me, please. God, we thank you for your sacrifice, the shedding of your blood, and the victory of your resurrection that we now get to live in. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.